0: Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel. I am so excited today to welcome Annalise Jennings to our Greatness podcast. Welcome, Annalise.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So Annalise and I were introduced by a mutual friend um, and had the opportunity to speak together a few weeks ago. And I was just completely blown away by Annalise and the work that she is doing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, why have I not had Annalise on this podcast yet? So I'm, I'm really glad we were able to, to make this happen. Annalise I'm I'm a huge fan of your work around social capital and building community and shifting our thinking around um, community, et cetera. But I always like to start with how did you how did you get down this path? And I think your specific story of kind of your transition from a very corporate position into your work today is so fascinating.
1: I, I feel the background in the in the corporate field is a really important element to mention here and my my work by education experience profession is is in the world of large scale project management and risk management. I started to become really really interested in human dynamics in looking at what is it that makes projects uh, successful or, or fail and and what is it that raises our risk profile and it it always points at the same elements of human dynamics and and ethics and integrity and people really coming from and living through their core values. Who am I? What do I stand for? What's deeply meaningful to me? I believe are the questions that differentiate us as leaders. And so from a corporate perspective, I became really interested in, in having dialogues with people about about who they were and how they really wanted to make a difference, and I f- and and I learned through those dialogues at that that we find that motivation, and we do our best work through that acknowledgement and understanding and, and shared understanding of what that means for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh so, gosh, so many different places I can go with that, and mm-hmm. um, as you bring up ethics and core values and and human dynamics. And so many of us come out of our, our education. I know myself coming out of engineering ill-prepared to um, think about that in a deep and meaningful way. And you had a personal experience that kind of propelled you from your foundational thinking in this, in the corporate world, into a bit of a different direction.
1: I certainly did. I, I was feeling a little burnt out, <laughs> as, as sometimes happens in the corporate world. And I decided to take a a holiday to Far North Queensland and it coincided with an invitation to be godmother to a little girl, uh, Alessandra. And while I was in Far North Queensland, I met Aboriginal elders um, through other introductions and I hadn't knowingly um, met an Aboriginal person before. But I've always been deeply connected to community ownership, to self-determination and to people owning their own destinies and deeply connected to, to some of those principles of, of belonging and connectedness. And, and we started to get into a very deep dialogue about some of these principles and, and these elders asked me if I would consider extending my holiday and, and visit their community, which I did. And, uh, and so the story continued from there. I spent time with them out on, on traditional land, out on, on country. We drank Billy tea for an afternoon and they shared with me the plight of Aboriginal people. And really, it was my first insight of really understanding from the inside what was really happening for Aboriginal people. And they shared some very personal stories and it was in the sharing of those very personal stories that I knew in that moment I was never going back to corporate banking.
0: Mm. It's interesting. We we talk in the course that I... I'm an instructor at the University of Denver in the MBA program online in our leadership and ethics course. We talk about defining moments in our life, and sometimes we don't know that they're happening when they're actually happening to us, but they, they do continue to shape the, the, the moral fabric of us as beings and, and what we stand for and where, you know, where we want to take our energy in the world. And it sounds like this was that kind of a moment for you.
1: It, it really was one of those moments, and it's you know, and, and it was when they shared with me one of their particular personal stories, where three of their five children had taken their lives, and I actually felt physical pain. I felt, um, I felt something physiologically shift inside me, and that was the that was the moment for me where when they asked me if I would consider coming back and continuing the dialogue that I knew it wasn't something that I could say no to. And then from then on, it, it, it became like a calling it, with each uh, visit back to their community and back to their country. And they introduced me to more and more Aboriginal people and traditional owners. And I started to understand um, a little bit more and I started to become a little more educated and I think what was my greatest asset is my naivety, my ignorance as well around Aboriginal policy and and what really happens in Aboriginal communities and my, um, my ideology as well. Uh, I, I believe all these elements were actually to my advantage because I was able to step into the communities with a blank canvas and and really start the dialogue by by asking some 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 questions and going back to those questions that I used to ask in risk management and project management who am I what do I stand for what's deeply meaningful to me what's my purpose and it was through those dialogues that we started to build this huge rich reservoir of ideas and information which then led to the initiative of well why don't we create our own community-owned um, visionary plan and once that started to happen and more and more Aboriginal people I'm talking hundreds and of Aboriginal people started to get involved in the building of their own visionary plan it became, it became something I couldn't step away with, and I remember my my then executive at um, at ANZ uh, calling me and saying, "Annalise, you know, when are you coming back?" and 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 I said, I, "I I don't know when I can come back." And I took my long service leave, and then I took twelve months leave without pay, and and then i made the decision to shift from corporate to first nations it was no longer a conversation i could step away from it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: so amazing and when you talk
0: about ownership and and we'll get to the the work that you're also doing in in back in the corporate world and back with organizations you know taking the learnings from this specific situation but people want to want to control their own destiny, but at times um, they can feel hopeless. We were just talking about this at a mentoring program I was at last night of feeling hopeless about being able to change an organization that's a bit mired in its culture of bureaucracy, et cetera. And and people just, they lose hope. And it sounds like these these people, when you first met them, had a certain level of hopelessness and we can't control our own destiny, and that they were able to shift, that's that word you used in your presentation so well, to a different mindset that we can impact the future of our collective social being.
1: Well, the history shows us that we've poured billions of dollars into feeding the deficiencies and needs of community. And what I learned through talking with, hundreds, maybe thousands actually of Aboriginal people is that one quote that really resonates for me is when an elder said, Annalise, we are not problems to be solved. We are people with gifts and assets. And it it really drew me into this um, dialogue around building strength-based communities. And so rather than pouring billions into deficiencies and needs and and the negative social indicators of community, the conversation very quickly became one of how do we create economic control for our people, but also building uh, spiritual well being and building capacity and building community from the inside. Mm. And so we started to look at all of those elements in parallel. And that was the shift. That was the shift that took us from paternalism, penalty, uh, punishment, intervention, prohibition to true community ownership and self-determination. And at the heart center of that was building our social capital and people becoming emotionally connected to the outcomes Mm. that that, that they were co-creating.
0: Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the results because they're really just crazy amazing results achieved with that these people achieved for themselves you know kind of describe what the community was like in that the vision the map that was created of what the community would look like in the future and what they achieved
1: it was quite phenomenal in 20 over 20 years of running strategy workshops I've never seen this result we developed a ten year visionary plan, and again, at the outset, engagement and inclusion were, were were the primary factors here. There was no element of the, there was no layer of the community that was excluded. and so we also included uh, federal and state government, council, service providers. Everybody was invited to the table. So that uh, invitation and that inclusion engagement was really, really key. Uh, within two years, we achieved over ninety percent of uh, the goals that were identified in the visionary ten year plan. And what that translated to was sixty percent increase in employment within the community and but phenomenally it was forty percent increase in community owned infrastructure. Uh, new roads, a town signage, a civic centre, a new library, a new supermarket, Uh, the beginning of our very first housing project. So this was a commercial joint venture uh, where Aboriginal people designed their own homes and built their own homes. So as the community plan started to flourish and we started to see the ideas, the activities that were becoming a part of this plan, we understood where we needed to project our energy around capacity building so that it was relevant. Um, and, it, you know, we weren't just doing certificates for the sake of it and using it as wallpaper on our walls, but every, every accreditation, every um, opportunity was then funnelled towards something that was... Growing and happening inside the community, so it was all relevant. Everything was tied back to the visionary plan.
0: It's so amazing. I mean, it literally makes my heart swell. And I would encourage people to find your TED talk on this topic because it's you know you go into it so deeply and richly. So so tell us about okay. So this these amazing accomplishments and and but your your work is continuing and you're you're taking this your own spiritual journey and all your own learnings um, about how to create these shifts and create social capital out into the world in all types of organizations. So tell us about that.
1: Well, at the heart center of building social capital are the ancient age old principles of belonging, connectedness, caring for the whole and that shift from problem to possibility. And I understood those principles and tried to put them into place in, in corporate banking but it wasn't until I lived and and worked and spent time with Aboriginal elders that I was able to drop those principles from my head into my heart and and they became a way of being and I think that was a really important shift uh, what I am now being called to do after many years of working in Aboriginal communities is to work bring those ancient age-old principles and meld them with Western society. So we have a greater opportunity around uh, uh, lasting reconciliation. So in, in practical terms, when I'm working in, in corporate sectors around creating new cultures... It's looking at how do we actually build those ancient age old principles into our strategies, um, into our visionary plans, into our systems, into our processes, so that people feel a sense of belonging, people feel that they have some sense of co creation about what's happening around them and a greater level of accountability. Mm.
0: Uh, it's just, uh, that sense of belonging. I, I just did a podcast with, a, a an expert in social identity theory and leaders and in group and out group and, you know, wanting to feel a part of something bigger. And when we think about the leaders, well, everybody in my mind is a leader in some capacity leadership as Edgar Schein, um, described to me, it's not about the leader, it's about leadership and everybody does it. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is about this, this gifts and assets and really thinking about the positive side of what are the gifts and assets that people bring to an organization. How, how does your work help leaders see that viewpoint?
1: Much of what I do starts with people getting close to their personal core values and, and so when I'm working with, with leaders in, in various institutions, the dialogue often starts with that, is around personal stories where they have been able to bring their core values to the forefront and, and what has been the ripple effect of that in how they manage their teams and in how they manage their institutions.
0: So I'm sitting and listening And and uh, interestingly, at this in this University of Denver course, we have people um, identify their core values. But sometimes I I see people doing that in a um, what's the word I'm looking for, not in the deepest way possible. I mean, how do you really dig deep and evaluate those those core values? What are what what's the first step that I take as if I'm a listener out there?
1: it's It's a really simple process of uh, it starts with a blank sheet of paper. and there's there's a great book called Return on Integrity. and it's got a wonderful exercise in it, and I love using it. And a blank sheet of paper and you write down as many uh, values, behaviors, Competencies, strengths, whatever comes to mind that really brings you to life and that you enjoy and love about who you are, and it's almost a stream of thought uh, where they do that for, uh, for for only one minute. And once they've done that, then we can start to look at okay, of everything that you've written down, what are the things that really stand out for you the most? People know innately, you know, when you when you ask them, what are your core values? People will innately connect to something that's deeply important to them. Mm -hmm. It might be family, it might be integrity, it might be nature, it might be stillness, whatever it is. But it's very rare that people don't have some response to that. And then to bring people into story, to share a story where living their values has really made a difference, where it's shifted them, where it's supported a loved one, where it's supported a team member. Uh, you know what 's the very heart of our humanity and that there, there's a great quote that I love you shift the inside and the outside happens it It has to start with us, our institutions are a reflection of our own leadership absolutely
0: and and so then i've I've gone through this exercise, and I think I understand my core values as as a leader, and you know we're all about talking about greatness on this podcast. But we have so many pressures and bias and different things that pull us in so many different directions. I think that's that's part of the challenge that I see in in being so true and mindful of our core values on a daily basis. Any tips for how to achieve that?
1: I think that's a really good question. And it was asked of me only yesterday. Yesterday, I was Uh, in a two-day workshop that I was delivering around adaptive leadership and looking at adaptive leadership as a response to homelessness and domestic violence and working with this alliance group and exactly that topic came up. For me personally, the best way that I can answer that is to look after your own resilience, to really be able to uh, to take a, a self-assessment around my own emotional, physical, um, mental and spiritual well-being, and how am I looking after that and how am I filling my own emotional tank so that I, I, I can be resilient in the, mo- in the moment and I can respond from a place of core values and not from a place of fear and not from a place of fatigue. So, it's really shifting the context within which we gather from from fear and and blame uh, to a place where we feel centered so it's a work in progress, mm-hmm. and we fall and uh, we get up and we dust ourselves down and we try again, but to continue to continue to be open and and mindful and conscious about our own emotional triggers, to know your emotional triggers like you know your name. Mm. I know my emotional triggers and I know when they're coming and I know when they've arrived and I can embrace them and say, okay, I've been triggered, what am I going to do about it? And and to know how to take that breath. But, you know, it's okay to be human. It's okay to fall and and to know, well, where's my go-to place? Where do I feel safe so I can... I can re-energize and I can restore.
0: Yeah, so many important points there. But just today, literally within the last hour, um, somebody reached out to me and said, I'm having this knee, I'm about to have this knee-jerk reaction. We talked about the amygdala and I'm really fascinated by neuroleadership in the brain and why we have these, you know, (laughs) these knee-jerk reactions that are not living the best version of ourselves. And and she said to me, help help me through this. And we had a great conversation about instead of reacting in a certain way to the person, how do you go back and ask questions? Like, how do you understand the viewpoint that they're coming from instead of um, just reacting? But it does come with mindfulness. You have to reflect and as i tell my students you have to be brutally honest with yourself and you do fall down we all do i think sometimes i'm forgetting more things than i'm learning right at this age mm-hmm. um, but you have to mindfully think about that and i think it's becoming even more difficult i know for myself i keep a journal and and my plane time is my is my journaling time but we just get caught on the gerbil wheel of life as i call it that we've got all this bombardment of of uh, emails and tasks and things that we're doing that create either real or perceived barriers to us reflecting and thinking mindfully as a leader. What, what advice do you have for people about that?
1: Um, I'm learning to say no mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, a lot more frequently, and I'm I'm learning to. I I absolutely I do the work that I love to do and and I'm privileged in that I work with clients and people that I love to work with and and I'm learning to say no to anything that doesn't align with my core principles I'm learning to dig deep into my intuition and if it doesn't feel right I'm not afraid to say no but in terms of emotional triggers there's a um, a great quote by Stephen Covey uh, between stimulus and response lives the freedom to choose Mm -hmm. and so to know when to to know when you've been triggered to know when to hit that metaphorical pause button and to take a breath to know when to ask yourself a question you know I've been triggered what is this teaching me what am I here to learn What's my experience here? How have I created this? They're incredibly courageous conversations to ask yourself. And I, I would be sharing with people, practice. It's it, you know, practice some of those questions. It's discipline and be humble and be brave and be courageous and be human. It's okay to fall. It really is okay to fall. It's it's how long do you want to stay in that place of despair? before you take action and do something about it and have have some of those strategies at your fingertips so you can move through those ups ups and downs quickly and in and gracefully yeah gracefully I just
0: jotted down the word calm you know sometimes life gets so frenetic we were docking in this mentoring that I did about breathing apps and, you know, when you can feel your shoulders rising because you have stress going on. And one thing I, I want to point out as we're um, wrapping up this conversation, which I, I literally could talk for hours about this mm-hmm. is that this is about performance and, you know, the, the results that that community achieved to achieve that much in two years. And, and I've seen the pictures. I mean, it's just remarkable, but, this you know the soft fuzzy stuff and whatever it's about performance it's about helping groups of people achieve greatness and i think back to back in the late 80s uh taking over a failing uh operations of a failing company and um we implemented what at the time was called self-directed work teams which was hey i'm not the brain here i have 800 people here that are smart and have done their jobs for a long time we're all going to pull together, we're losing a million dollars a month, which in 1989 was a lot of money. And we're, we're going to figure this out together. And we broke even within nine months. Um, and, and the joy of seeing people celebrate that, um, and being lifted up, but it's it is about helping teams of people achieve greatness,
1: it, it really is. And Um, I'm I'm tuning into the terminology soft and fuzzy and, and for me I believe it's also that this is actually the pointy end of the stick you know this is it when we come from a place of belonging connectedness caring for the whole that whole shift in paradigm from problem to possibility Uh, We're creating new pathways. We're creating new conversations, new narratives. Uh, In the two-day strategy session that I ran over the the last couple of days, um, the core concept was around connect then lead. And so the building a strategy was a dance between uh, heart and and mind activities that allowed us to get to an end point by the end of the two days. We now have a strategy, we have a visionary plan, and we've got core goals that everybody is committed to, but what brings us all together are our core values and a shared understanding of what those core values are. That's a lot of work in two days. But when you can work with the head and heart, you can achieve that in a really short space of time. It's not a whiteboard exercise.
0: Mm. Annalise, I am so grateful to Dr. Roger Hilton, uh, yeah. a longtime friend of my husband's, for introducing the two of us. He, I, I think he knew that you and I were going to hit it off and finally being able to meet <laughs> each other in person in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and, and speak together. Um, I I feel very fortunate to have made your acquaintance I want to encourage our listeners Annalise Jennings to Google you find your TED talk um, listen to you and I I know um, possibly there's a book in the works down the road from you I, I think you have a lot of important things to say to the world and I'm very grateful to you for being a guest on greatness today.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege, and I'm so looking forward to more Connection Points with you.
0: Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.